This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we're here to become better habitat managers. Welcome back, everybody. Happy October. Bow season is underway. I hope you guys are having a great opening week to your season so far. If you're already, you know, past opening week in your season, well, good for you. Uh, I'm jealous, a little happy for you. But uh, we just got started. The weather's still super hot. It's dropping off this weekend. I am pumped. Um, I was able to take my good buddy Nick out opening evening. We split up on this lease and uh, saw a bunch of does. Um, nothing within range of either of us. So we went home full of mosquito bites and empty-handed. But it was good to get out. Do a couple, you know, knock the rust off, if you will, kick the dust off and just get the season rolling. Guys, our guest, on the other hand, has already been making things happen. We have Dylan Major on from Southeast Michigan. Dylan owns a five and a half acre piece, 5.6 acres, something like that here. And he does a ton of habitat work to it. He's only owned it for a few short years and he was able to knock down a beautiful 13 point buck on opening day in the evening dylan shot this deer uh in a vitalized seed food plot that's pretty awesome um he's he got the sweet little honey hole behind his house it's actually really cool and i wanted to get him on because it's really relatable to folks uh most people have you know smaller acreage um you know if the fives tens 20s even even 40s i guess might be considered small to to some people uh, to me, it's actually quite a bit. But right now, Dylan was able to shoot a nice mature buck opening day, had him patterned, got in there and knocked him down 
dressing out at 190 pounds. Guys, in Michigan, that's a great deer. A lot of places, that's a great big bodied buck. Uh, 13 points. So great story here from Dylan learning about, you know, what he did on his property. Um, we talk about all the stuff he's implemented over the years. We talk about his setup, talk about kind of how he patterned this stuff. Um, we also get into some stuff about towards the end about uh, deer tracking with a dog. So he's done that for a while, too, which is pretty cool. Uh, we get into some, you know, some advice there on what to do, what not to do. Really a great conversation. Everything deer hunting habitat related here today five and a half acres michigan 13 point big heavy buck we'll bring that to you here in just a sec really appreciate the reviews that have been left on apple itunes um a couple new ones this week i want to read one of them for you here so we have let's see who we have here ben sasnovsky thanks ben for using your name i know exactly how to find you they talk to many hunting experts and cover topics and scenarios for all types of hunters and habitat managers. Tons of information and ideas to apply to your own hunting strategies. That's exactly right, Ben. We appreciate it. We try to give you guys tidbits every single episode, something you can learn from, learn, put in your put in your, you know, your knowledge bank up top and bring it and apply it to your next project. We have another podcast here. I can't even pronounce the name of the, the username. Um, great podcast. One of my favorite podcasts, great information and great guests, very relatable to the normal blue collar hunter. Thank you very much. We truly appreciate that guys. These reviews literally take you like 30 seconds, maybe, maybe a minute. And I send out a free five inch habitat podcast decal. Here's one more from drew D Akai or drew Dakai. Very informative podcast, five stars, very informative podcast on habitat management. I've listened to every episode in the past eight months. I want to start from the beginning again because there was so much content covered that I'm certain I missed some gems. This has been very helpful for me on my 40 acre northern Michigan property. Keep up the amazing work. Drew, love the review. Thank you so much. You know what? You mentioned that's a good point. I should probably even go back to the beginning and listen to all these over again because I know when you're trying to record. And you're trying to, you know, interview, you know, I'm sure I miss a detail every now and then. So that would be, a, that's a good idea. I know some folks have started back from the beginning. A lot of folks have actually. Um, it might be, I don't even know if I could do it. I don't even know if I could do it, but it would be cool. And guys, thank you so much for leaving us those five-star reviews. If you've left us a review and I have not sent you a decal yet, please email me info at habitatpodcast.com and I will get it in the mail for you right away guys i wish you all the best of luck this season i want to thank the rest of our partners before we get into it i want to thank united country midwest lifestyle properties downburst cedars acres.com morse nursery packer max call to packers exodus outdoor gear and vitalize seed company guys we have another great episode coming next week uh with my friend jeremy uh we might actually have al on here al shot a giant in ohio anybody hear that yet um we'll have him on here soon i want to hear his story his setup how that all went down too. My buddy Brian, he's coming on. Lots of great episodes coming up, guys. I need to, I need to be in the woods more, but I gotta keep podcasting too. So, we're going away this weekend. Wish us luck up north in northern Michigan at that bow camp, and um, good luck to all of you as well, guys. I want to talk to you about Acres.com. Acres.com is a partner of the show here at Habitat Podcast, and they have an awesome, very useful website. For landowners and land enthusiasts out there or even people in the land market so it's a great guide for landowners and buyers 
There's a free version. All you have to do is sign up at acres.com. It's a research platform that puts you in easy access to listings, sold data, and insights, 10 different layers of insights, um, you know, crop history, aerial imagery, uh, floodplain, soil types, um, vegetation, all these items are on there. So what it helps me do is reveal things that I can't see if I'm not on the property there. Historic land use, potential risks, maybe. You know, know your regional land market with this program and just evaluate land like you're a professional. I've been using it a lot lately to generate reports on certain parcels I'm interested in purchasing. There's a there's a way you can generate like an 11-page report that shows you everything you need to know about that parcel. So when you go out and walk it, you have sometimes more information than the realtor. There's also a premium membership at acres.com. You can compare listings, sold listings, um, property owner lookup, look up the tax ID, parcel numbers, everything you need to know. And again, with these reports, I love generating these reports from acres.com to help me become a smarter buyer, a better land enthusiast, or even if you're in the market, a land professional. Guys, check out acres.com. Let them know Habitat Podcast sent you. Sign up for free today and start exploring one of the best land use websites that I've worked with. All right, Dylan, how are you doing today, sir? Doing great. How are you, Jared? Good, man. Thanks for hopping on. Appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. I was pretty excited to be able to get the opportunity to get on here. <laughs> well, you've been putting the work in, my friend. We've been we've been chatting over Facebook uh, and whatnot, Messenger for, for a little while now, and um, you, you're like my neighbor, kind of, sort of. Haven't met you yet, but I know you're not too far from me. Yeah, probably 15, 20 minutes or so, I'd say. All right. Well, we'll have to get together over a cold beer. I got, I have a, a nice 13-point rack I need to check out. So, <laughs> He's at the taxidermist. All right. Well, I'll have to wait then. That's okay. Yeah. I'm sure we could swing over there, though. He's only literally four miles down the road from me. Oh, is that right? Who do you use? Uh, Tom with anything that moves. Okay. I've not heard of Tom, so that's pretty cool. Good to know there's somebody close by. Yeah. He's uh, really good, in my opinion. Awesome. Um, well, let's do this. Normally how we start these, as you know, you're, you're a listener or we always appreciate you listening and everybody else who listens. Um, let's get a little background on you, who you are, where you're from, kind of how you got into the hunting and, and habitat side of things. Yeah. My name's uh, Dylan Major. I grew up up in Durand, a small city in Michigan. And as life went on, got married and we moved down to Howell, but didn't grow up hunting, always kind of wanted to. I remember back in sixth grade, one of my good friends was, you know, a heavy hunter and him and his dad, you know, they'd go out every fall and spend time in the woods. And I always wanted to and just didn't come from a hunting family. And my brother-in-law is actually the one that got me into it. I want to say 2017, I started hunting and it's just grown into an addiction ever since. Yes, sir. I, I hear you there. And when you when you started hunting, was it only deer? Did you do any so, sort of small game or duck hunting or anything like that? I know I got started doing waterfowl pretty pretty early. Yeah, I still haven't done waterfowl. It's um, done a little bit of small game just here and there, but it's mainly been the whitetail. Okay, gotcha. And then you started with a bow. Did you start with a gun? And and where did you start hunting at? I started at my uh, in laws' neighbor's property. My brother-in-law took me out a couple times there and wasn't successful, but that's uh, definitely created a habit, you know. 
started that with a muzzle loader and slowly worked into actually bought the, the crossbow three years ago now i i know i'm gonna get some heat for that because all the bow hunters absolutely hate crossbows but there's a reason sure sure yeah the, the, the way i see it you know if it gets somebody out in the woods um if you have medical reasons or, or injury or, or whatever you want to call that obviously uh but, but otherwise if not you know as long as it gets you out in the woods more you know we need we need more people doing this stuff so that's the way i see it oh absolutely and that's how i feel the, the biggest reason i did a crossbow um i do a boatload of bow fishing oh nice which is you know, basically a quick draw and shoot. Half the time, you're not really aiming whatsoever. It's just you see the fish, you know what it is, and you draw and shoot. You know, there's no archery form whatsoever to it. And I just felt ethically more responsible with a crossbow than a regular bow. So are you thinking that you would take some of your bow fishing habits into the deer woods with you when you when you see that deer, you'd, you'd draw back real quick, let go. You'd probably aim like what, three foot low, like you're supposed to do in the water and, and all that good stuff. Yeah. I just, you know, it takes so much to shoot a normal compound bow accurately. And I just felt initially it was a lot safer to start with a crossbow. I eventually do want to switch over to my compound, but for now it's been the, the crossbow route and I was able to get my wife into hunting and eventually it'll be a safe route to get my daughter's into shooting deer yep yep yes it's great for the kids um I'm, i've been looking at them too to get my my girls out you know they're not the biggest framed little gals being twins and um you know getting a getting 40 50 pounds pulled back is it's gonna be a while so um yeah i, yeah. I totally get it man that's that's pretty awesome and tell me a little bit about about bow fishing before we get into you know your, your property and, and the deer hunting side of things i i've also done quite a bit of that in college, I bought my I bought my first boat when I was like 19, and we decked it out up in Mount Pleasant, and we shot a bunch of fish. Um, wh what's your setup like? Where do you go? Um, that's that's a really good time, man. Yeah, it's something I definitely love, and that's you know my brother-in-law and his cousin got me into that as well. But uh, I got a 14-foot uh, V boat. It's just like a you know normal fishing boat i built the platform and got some 400 watt hps lights and a generator thrown on it it's nothing crazy special like you see at all the tournaments but it's enough for what i do we used to have a couple lakes when i lived up towards midland that we'd really hit like the sanford lake that the dam is no longer there so that's yeah. kind of out of the question but nowadays we spend quite a few trips up at the bay and then just some other small lakes around the state Okay, yeah, I've never done the bay, and I've you know, and the tournaments go out there, and we shot a couple of tournaments in Grand Haven before, way back when. But that's man, that gotcha. bay shooting has to be awesome. Just like so many fish and big fish too. Oh, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. There's that many. I mean, huh? it, yeah, I mean, it, on a good night, it's like that. Other nights, you know, you can go up there and you might see ten. It's kind of just like fishing, you know. Yep. <laughs> yeah, some really good days and some bad days, but. Either way, it's a day that you're not stuck at the house. You're out enjoying nature, so it's a great day regardless. Do you guys go during the day ever, or is it usually always at night? There's one lake that I like to hit during the day, but typically it's always at night. Yeah. Have you guys ever shot um, the Maple River State Game Area off 127? No, I have not. We we did that a lot back in college, and um, 
had some really good nights out there. Um, it's weird. The one side of the highway, which would be the east side of 127, was like all dogfish. I mean, I'm going back 15 years now, but it was like all dogfish. And uh, the other side was carp and dogfish and, and everything else. So we shot a bunch of them, but, you know, the water's so low now. I drove by there last week, and it's just, there's not a ton of water out there to probably even get out there and shoot. Gotcha. Yeah, you must have, you probably hit it during like the dogfish spawn time or something. Okay, that makes sense. Which they, which they, I'm sure you've seen it, but they get that beautiful green color to them, like bright neon, almost kind of fluorescent green the males do when they're ready to spawn. Yeah, I mean, I've never heard anybody call a dogfish beautiful, but you're right. They get that neon green. <laughs> almost like that well, neon green well, mahi dolphin, you know? Wouldn't recommend eating them, that's for sure. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, that's that's always been a good time bow fishing. Though that's I urge anybody whoever hasn't done that get out there and try it. Check it out on YouTube. That's that's a that's a riot. Yeah, that it is. Well, cool, man. Let's hear about uh, your your property. I know um, you uh, sent me your info. I I have my my Huntwise app. I can pull up where everybody lives by their name and this and that. So I got your place pulled up here. Uh, tell everybody about about the property, the size, the layout, and. Um, We'll get into some habitat work. Okay. Yeah, it's not real big. I think it's 5.6 or 5.7 acres with my house and barn on it. Realistically, I think my deer habitat area is probably two and a half to three acres or so. And it's kind of almost like a baseball diamond shape, the way my property kind of triangles out and flattens out in the back. But where the food plot is, I have that measured out to 0.32 acres, and it's like a crescent shape in a bowl area you pulled up some aerials i'm sure you could kind of see the area behind my barn jared okay yep so i put up the screening this year did all sorts of food plot stuff as you know and a bunch of habitat work pulling trees down and kind of cleaning up the deer routes and overall just making the property thicker back there i was fortunate enough to find a guy through facebook that let me come out and dig up a bunch of bush honeysuckle and other trees that kind of grow like wildfire to try and thicken it up back there. And that, you know, obviously takes time and we'll see if any of that actually works or not. Yeah. I mean, what, what I like about your, your situation is it's, it's very relatable to a lot of people out there. A lot of our listeners, you know, five and a half acres or 5.7 acres behind your house. Like that's, that's a lot of people, um, you know, and it can get done as we'll as we'll see here on that small of a parcel now would you say like the yeah the back half is more like woods and the front half is kind of more like your living area uh what was that would you say the setup like the like the back half is kind of where more woods kind of where the deer are and the front half is more like your living area the barn the house kind of non deer yeah yep and i'm actually pretty lucky because i have like the wooded area that i guess to the south of my food plot and that busts up to a 20 acre farm field and then the guy behind me between him his mother-in-law and his daughter now there's 30 acres right behind me that you know they don't hunt so that's pretty fantastic for me as far as pressure no kidding that's probably a huge part of this whole thing right i have to assume so i mean he does use his property you know he's out there all the time but they are never shot at on his property so you know at best it's like he'll fire his tractor up and go do something with it or mowing the grass or what have you but it's it's very nice 
and beneficial. I'm sure that it's not hunted back there. Yeah, I, I think every little bit helps. And it's always, you know, about your neighbors, especially in the smaller properties we always talk about is your neighbors really come into come into play a lot more. Um, I mean, I think they kind of always do, depending where you're at, but usually neighbors will always come into play. I think when you're at, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 acres, they really, it really matters. Oh, absolutely. I mean, realistically, you're not holding one mature buck on your land unless you own several thousand acres. So I'd venture to guess even 500 acre parcels really depend on your neighbors, you know? Yep. And what's that that field to the south? What's that planted in this year? This year is corn, which I really think helps with my new screening because, you know, corn is security cover. Yeah, yeah, I'd I'd agree. And when you say screening, are you screening I'm I'm assuming you're screening from the house, from like the barn, the house, the yard, right? Yeah, from the house over to the barn. And I have a habitat project I'm doing next year. I'm gonna put a little bridge over my creek that runs through the back of the property so this year i had my father-in-law bring uh, i think seven or eight dump truck loads of soil over here on the excavating business so that's piled up behind my barn so that kind of acted as a screen and then i screened the north end of my barn and straight back to the woods okay very nice so, so tell me just trying to the food plot like t- i know you're um like you're screening your food plot tell me about what your strategy was with with that it looks like it's probably your your most open area that is furthest back towards the cover based on what i'm seeing like you kind of have it nestled up against the woods right yeah there's um at the south end of the i guess the south end of the food plot there's four mature apple trees i don't even know what they are every time i use a phone app it spits out a different type of apple (laughs) but um a couple of those trees did really good this year and to the north of those there's two might be a third acorn tree there actually but they're uh just the standard white oaks and those produced very well this year for me which i think was huge going along with the food plot because it's all right on the food plot so they got everything in the vitalized load to go from the apples and the acorns and all the security cover now holy cow yeah the the standing cornfield the nice neighbors the apple trees acorns food plot man you had it all going on right there yeah this year everything just came together and you know we had those real high winds a couple months ago and i was kind of afraid that like all the all the apples blew off the tree and I sent you pictures of my entire screen had blown over, basically. So my wife and I went out, found a T-post in the ground, and stood it all back up with strings. And it actually bounced back really well. There's only one spot that, that you can see through pretty well, but it's still, you know, it, obviously it worked. I'm glad. I'm glad. That was like the weekend I was like trellising all my tomato plants and trying to keep those upright. You texted me like while I was doing that. And I was like, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe you can hold it up with some wire, some some rope. You know? Yep. And we, um, my wife has chickens, so we used some basically like Baylor's wine, but it, you know, it comes out of a bucket on a string. We just used a bunch of that stuff to uh, stand it back up, and I was pretty surprised and impressed with how well it stood right back up and came back to life, so to speak. Good, good. That's awesome. And do you think it would have stood up without doing the twine? Or do you think it it would have stayed stayed laid over? I think it would have stayed laid over for the most part because it was all blown the same direction. And wow. like that one spot 
that I told you was still open. That's the only spot that we weren't able to stand back up very well because it was just so thick and I ran out of T posts <laughs> to like, I probably needed to do like three rows of T posts to stand it back upright. And I was just down to one row. So it was kind of like, well, we'll see what happens. And it, it sealed up pretty well. Very cool. Um, with the, you said the food pot was like what? 0.3 of an acre. Yeah, roughly. Okay. And then what about your, your backwoods? I see you got a lot of woods back there. What's that look like? Is it, is it wide open? Have you done some cutting and logging? Have you, are you in the middle of the two options? What do you, what's that look like back there? So the woods that's directly south of me, that little square patch, I grabbed, literally climbed a bunch of two inch and smaller trees this year. I'd kind of shimmy my way up until they'd fall one way or the other. And my wife helped me tie a bunch of those down to add some screening and a little bit of travel corridor type work. Uh, I did some hinge cutting over there. And then the other side of the woods is pretty dense for the first 50 or 60 yards, starting from the south to the north. And then it kind of opens up and I need to do some cutting over there. Probably in the spring, I'll get that done. But behind, I have a creek that runs along the edge of that woods. Behind that, it's all pretty young growth and shorter stuff like bush honeysuckle and other various shrub-type trees that provide quite a bit of bedding. And it's swampland back there, so there's all sorts of different little pockets for them to bed in. Yeah, it looks like um, some lower ground to the north up there. What uh, what type of trees are, are in your woods mainly? I'm honestly not good with trees. I do know I have a lot of soft maple, and there's actually, I can think of four different black walnuts that are back there, but other than that, I really can't tell you all the individual species. A lot of junk trees. Okay. Yeah, Trust me, that whole tree identification thing comes with time. So you'll uh, yeah, we'll get that the more you're you're out in the woods. And actually, I'm I'm hearing soft maple right now is actually really, really high in the in the market. White oak and soft maple, my my loggers telling me is really good right now, which is interesting. I'm actually kind of surprised to hear that. Right. All right. All right. Well, let's hear about some of the deer. How long have you lived here for? Um. Since- 2019 i believe we bought the property might have been 18 or 20 and you've uh, you've no, already harvested 20. a few deer out of there right oh yeah we get um usually four or five doe a year i took one buck the first year uh, he was the first buck i've ever shot like i said i didn't grow up hunting but he was i got i scored him a couple days ago actually out of or a couple weeks ago out of curiosity he was like 94 inches nice no so he just he drew the short card he was the first buck i ever had in front of me and Took a good shot on him. I think he ran about 60 yards and piled up pretty good. Well, nice work there. Yeah, that's a that's a great first buck. I think uh, anybody who's getting into hunting, you know, at this point, it's like get some deer under your belt. You know, bucks, does, everything. Get that experience there, releasing those arrows and shooting those deer. And who cares about the size right then, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was like a little kid in the candy store when I got him, you know, and I'm still proud of him to this day. He's on my wall. That's you know, where I met Tom first, my taxiderma. Okay. Well, and then, and then this year, um, you had a little bit, a little bit of a bigger buck start showing up, right? Let's get into the story of, of this deer, kind of when you first located him and go down this story. 
Yeah, I run um, usually five cameras just scattered throughout the property, which I know sounds insane on five acres, but I enjoy the pictures. <laughs> uh, I'm guilty of the first same. First, notice them. Guilty. What? What was that? I'm guilty of running a lot of cameras on not that much acreage. So I hear you. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know it's an addiction. I got a couple cameras that are set up like just for like fun pictures. I really enjoy. It. My daughter just loves the phone dinging every night or throughout the day, and she's like, "Oh, mom, daddy, dear," I want to see the pictures and. It's just awesome. Man, first saw this guy. I got a couple pictures of him in the back swamp area that I have a camera and went through eight or nine pictures of him. I got that morning and obviously still in velvet, just realized like, wow, this thing, he's at least 11 points or 10 points from what I could tell. And I never really knew until about a week or two ago what he really was because the camera I had back there died on me and I never went back and replaced it. So I didn't get a whole lot of pictures of him until about a month ago, he started coming to the food plot almost every single night. He'd hit it for probably three or four nights in a row. And then he'd disappear for a few days, come back for a couple and disappear. And, you know, he, with how my cameras are on the food plot, I'd get, one random shot and it's like yep that's him but it's not real clear never got a really good look at him until i switched over to video mode and was able to actually see a pretty good image of him out of velvet okay and you mentioned i i think my 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 audio blanked out there for a minute when, when were the first pictures what time frame uh mid-july i believe was when i first got a good glimpse of him oh nice you can already tell he's at least 10 11 points all right yeah that's awesome yep I, I thought for sure he was 11 points, but I could have sworn he was 13. Couldn't really tell because it was just the angles of the pictures and trying to figure out, like, yep, that's that point from this picture. Okay, that's a new one kind of thing. Kept yeah. kind of going back and forth. You know, that, yeah, he's, I mean, it's like the, I just think of, like, sawtooth or, you know, like like a shark tooth. Just all the jagged, like, so many times, you know? Yeah, I remember you called him that when I first sent you the pictures. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I mean, I've never, I've never shot a buck with that many points on one side before. That, that's that's pretty neat. If you're constantly revisiting your cell cameras, there's a problem. If you can't rely on your cell cameras, there's a problem. If you're having trouble getting a hold of customer service, there's a problem. Guys, these problems literally birthed Exodus Outdoor Gear eight years ago when they shipped their first camera. They had a clear desire to not only build elite products that enable you to set it and forget it all season long but also to back them up like no other company is willing with an unmatched level of customer service and support. See for yourself why Exodus has over 15,000 satisfied customers and why they've quickly become known for their five-year no BS warranty, quality cameras, and best-in-class customer service. You heard that right. Exodus believes in their products so much, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty that includes theft and accidental damage coverage. Check them out at ExodusOutdoorGear.com. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, you fast forward. You're, he's out of velvet now. You got a good video shot of him. What's going through your head at this time? Uh, a lot of sleep this night, and I was starting to pattern him. And as you, we all know, you can't really pattern a deer. It is what it is. But he would come in pretty regularly, and it just happened to be the week before opening day. He had came in, I think, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Tuesday, Wednesday, he actually switched to mornings, which kind of threw me for a loop because up to that point, I never once had him in the morning other than the one time on that back camera. But I had never had him at the food plot in the morning. So my whole game plan was to not hunt the morning in hopes of not spooking him or any bucks out of there. And hopefully he would come in the first night or second night or you know, yeah. pattern wise, that's kind of what I had him at is like, he should come back Saturday or Sunday based on his previous trends. And then he threw the morning days at me and I'm like, well, I guess I need to shoot the morning and see what <laughs> happens. What, any idea why you think he switched to mornings like right before bow season? I have no idea. The only thing I could think is maybe, um, my kind of theory is like I have the neighbor behind me with the 30 acres that doesn't hunt. And across the road, I have another neighbor that doesn't hunt with, I think, 32 or 33 acres, maybe. And um, I think he was bouncing back and forth between those two properties and kind of trying to figure out his home range, you know. Okay. But I, the only thing I can think is that maybe he was batted on one of those and they fired a tractor up and spooked him out and kind of shifted his pattern for a couple of days. I, really don't know yeah i mean that's kind of my thought too something maybe bumped him or, or a hunter on a, on a different property or, or who knows where he's where he was bedded up but maybe something changes pattern i mean it was a lot cooler yeah. in the mornings too last week and this week yeah it was up until uh opening morning that was pretty <laughs> warm so yeah i think we were i think we were texting before that uh what time did you end up getting in the stand opening morning i woke up at 4 40 and i was probably in the stand by 450 nice that's so the way to i had to wait a, had to wait a couple does out i peeked around my screening because i i need to move my blind my uh blind is inside the food plot screening and uh, i peeked around the screening and i was kind of tucking my pine tree that my blind butts up to and there were two does on the far end at least i'm assuming they're does you really can't tell it's five o'clock in the morning <laughs> but uh kind of just shook the pine tree branch a little bit to make some noise as I was hunkered down and they kind of meandered off didn't really know what happened but I just got in the blind and sat there and the morning set I had two 
Well, I had nine bucks total, and I think two or three does end up coming out, and I wound up passing on the largest eight point I have pictures of this year. I'm not the best at scoring or judging deer, but I'm assuming he's a 130 to 140 class eight pointer. He's pretty wide and pretty tall. Wow, that's a great pass. That, that was the biggest buck I've ever had in front of me, and it was incredibly hard not to squeeze one off on him, but I just had a gut feeling that I had really good odds if I didn't go after him that I would get the one that I wanted. So then so then did he meander off? Did he hang around? Did he did he bust you? Is he still alive? What do you know? Oh they just uh came in. There's a on one of the apple trees there's a scrape that they hit every time and they of course pee in the dirt. So he did that right away, ate some acorns and just meandered off down to the creek area and I'm not sure where he went from there, but that was kind of it for the morning hunt after everything dispersed. I think I jumped out of the blind at nine or nine thirty. Just knowing my property, I know it's not worth sticking out anything past that this time of year. Yeah. And then so for the evening hunt, I went out, I think around four thirty, four forty five, I got back in the blind and pretty quickly had quite a few does and different smaller bucks in front of me. And it came down to Three minutes or two minutes before legal light ended, I had a small spike come out from the south woods, stayed down by the apple trees on the south end of the plot there. And he kept checking the woods, kept checking like the creek swamp area behind him. So I got ready, got the window open because I was very hopeful, obviously. And um, all right, so about 10 seconds. Real quick, Dylan, you were saying. The spike stepped out, you you opened the window, and then you were waiting. And then, like, like was it quiet? Was it windy? Um, I know opening night was pretty... I think the wind dropped off, didn't it? Yeah, there was next to no wind. Okay. And uh, I, knew, I knew ahead of time, like, at last light, my thermals, because my whole food plot area goes somewhat downhill. It's almost like being in a bowl. You know, your thermals just completely drop, and they go right to where that spike was at, at the bottom of the bowl. And... Um, you know, that, that bigger eight point from the morning stepped out and came out. And then that spike kept looking back into the woods. And so I stayed ready and that 13 pointer came out and gosh, it felt like forever, you know, but it was probably 40 or 45 seconds between me realizing what deer was in front of me and taking the shot. Okay. He was the whole time he was there, which wasn't very long, but they were very skittish. You, know, you you could tell something was up, and I just had a gut feeling he had my thermals. Man, I mean that they say that's and a lot of times the a mature buck will enter or deer in general, I guess, will enter fields in those situations because they can kind of send check the thermals on their way in, you know. Yep. And the way I always try to do it is I try to keep the blind completely shut up until it's you know that time to shoot. Yep. You know, and I know sense is still getting out there and I've been winded before, even with the windows shut, but doing something's got to be better than nothing. I would agree. So how far uh, was I, the shot? I do. Uh, the shot was 46 yards. Holy cow. Nice. Yeah. Wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the crossbow. <laughs> yeah, that's a poke. Yep. But it's uh, entered a little bit lower than I was expecting and I still don't know how it happened but it actually ricocheted up a little bit and it exited out his rear shoulder and uh blew the shoulder completely apart like a limp noodle wow was he was he 
pretty broadside. Yeah, he was completely broadside. And I guess it could have been the angle of him just because it's a slightly downhill angle that, you know, maybe it didn't deflect. It was just a straight through shot. And that was just the angle he was standing at. Wow. But it went, you know, heart shot double long and he bounded off, you know, took off like a bat out of, you know, what, along with the other two that were with him and heard him just crashing through the trees and heard him step into the swamp area and, about 10 seconds went by and I heard what I thought was him drop to the ground and you know fall over. And I had never shot something that big or actually, a, you know, a target buck in general. This was the first year I really had a good target to go after. And like anyone else, I was second guessing everything. And I gave him over an hour before I even went and checked the arrow. And uh, I was at tracked him down and found him. He made it about 25, 30 yards. Man, well done. That's had it had to be a pretty exciting forty six yard shot. But you and you twelve ringed him. I mean, were you shaking? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm fortunate. I don't get buck fever, so to speak, before the shot. I'm able to stay calm and collected. But as soon as I squeeze that one off, all you know, it it went crazy. All the adrenaline rush hit. Man, so yeah, there's, there's how, how'd the recovery go? Did you go get the family or what was next? Yeah, I sat for 15 or 20 minutes just kind of listening and whatnot. And then I jumped out of the blind, ran up to the house. My wife was actually just finishing dinner. So we sat down and I was just a nervous wreck. She was kind of a nervous wreck for me, just super excited and, you know, wanting to know. You know, So we ate a little bit of food and gave him a little over an hour and went out and tracked him. And my daughter came out with us and just found him and ran up, grabbed the quad and fired it up and went down and got him. Man, congratulations. What a buck. That's a great Michigan deer there, buddy. 13 points. Wow. Thank you very much. He's definitely well worth all the work that we've put in this year. That's for sure. Yeah. And you've been doing it too. You know, you've been sending me a lot of updates and that's, that's pretty awesome. I love, uh, I love this type of stuff. I love seeing the guys take the habitat, put it into play and then, you know, harvest their target deer, whatever that may be. That's amazing, man. Well done. Such a surreal feeling to actually see it all come together and just how much all the habitat work and the food plot and the screening and just everything in general has you know, made the deer more comfortable and just a surreal feeling. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So now what, are you after that eight point or are you only harvesting one off the property? What are you doing with the rest of the, the season? I mean, you only have like three months left. <laughs> yeah, it's... uh. Like I told you, I got, you know, my wife's pregnant now and she's due November 1st and we're doing cesarean this time. So it will be November 1st. So <laughs> yep. I want to get back to processing on my own. So I'm kind of holding off until colder weather gets here so I can hang them in the garage and have the time to do that. Yeah. So probably just going to let the land sit for the month and hopefully that buck will come back, but Considering he was there when I shot that 13-pointer, I'm not expecting to see him again during daylight. <laughs> yeah, but he's he scooted for, out. For now, yeah. For now, it's just kind of letting everything set and taking care of the family stuff. And, you know, after the kid's born and the wife's, you know, recovered for the most part, I'm hoping she'll get out in December if she's feeling good enough. But um, just planning on getting some does down and wrap it up with a good, fun season. Did you end up weighing that buck at all? Yeah, he field dressed at 190, which is by far the biggest deer I've ever 
Wade. That's a heck of a deer. That's, I mean, I've, I think I only have two, maybe three. I think two for sure that, that dress, you know, up up there, little, little, right, right in that range. And man, they're just giant bodies. So I can tell when he's taking up your whole jet sled there, whatever sled that is, he's like, you know, rolling around in that thing, barely fitting. Yeah, that's a, that's a good buck. Yeah, he was pretty heavy. <laughs> so what do you think, do you have anything next year you're going to change about your property that it sounds like maybe you're going to move the blind behind the screen or, or into the screen i'd probably recommend that anything that you're looking at at changing i mean it all worked out pretty good yeah it all worked out really good i mean even now i still have a bunch of deer in the plot you know every day just feeding away but i would like to move the blind behind the screening we're planning on going to morris nursery to get some apple trees and pear trees those aren't going to go in the food plot. They're more for the family. Um, I really don't have room to add more trees back there. You know, it's a small area. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to add them. It would be just west of the food plot on my property there, kind of on the property line, which I'm sure the deer will eat at those from time to time. But hopefully that doesn't bite me in the rear in five years. <laughs> yeah, that's um, hey making your property stick out versus the neighbors, right? No matter how you do it. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to, I'll probably end up hinge cutting more trees on the north end. And then just the, the swamp areas, I was planning on doing a lot to it. And then I was back there a lot this summer and it's quite a bit thicker than I really initially thought it was. There's one area I think I might clear cut. It's probably 20 yard by 20 yard area and just let the undergrowth kind of take over because it's got a bunch of junk trees that are, they've been 12 foot tall for four years now, and they're very easy to see through because they're so spindly. Yeah, very cool. Well, I wanted to to hear about a little bit about deer tracking. I just saw that you were, uh, you're posting up in Habitat chat about how you are a, a deer tracker with a dog. Um, I don't know if that's the right yep. term, but uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I've, I've been around tracking dogs, uh, a couple times um and both times they, they found my deer and my brother's deer so curious uh, how'd you get into that how long you've been doing that and maybe we can help the listeners with some some good tips and tricks for the beginning of the season here on what to do what not to do yeah absolutely um i've always had you know family dogs and just enjoyed training them and working with them i've worked with a couple different bite work dogs over the years at a family friend farm growing up the uh dad did uh, the canine training, so I got to help him every now and then. But um, I actually needed a deer tracker two years ago, and I called one out, and it just sparked an interest in me, and it's like, wow, this is really cool. You know, it's a way to get out in the woods and work with the dog, which I love doing, and it revolves around deer, which is just an added bonus. So as it turned out, the next year, my wife went to the Humane Society up in Midland because her mom was getting a dog from there, rescuing one. And I had a gut feeling that when she went, she was bringing one home. So I had already accepted it, you know, in my heart. And uh, so she calls me and tells me, you know, this about this dog. And I'm like, yeah, go ahead, bring it home. And um, we just started working with it and training. And, you know, at first you just kind of the way we did it is we toss food on the ground and just tell her find it as she's sitting there looking for the kibble through the grass. And then you can start doing some little training drags, you know, 10 yards, 20 yards. And, you know, the whole time you're 
you're really not training the dog to track. You're learning how to read the dog as it's tracking. And we practice usually three times a week. I try to do something with her. So how do you, what, what kind of dog was it? Uh, she is the biggest mutt I've ever seen. She is, um, let me think here. I believe she is shepherd, pitbull, husky, chow, and chihuahua. Wow. So she she's as mud as they get. Okay. And how did you know she'd be, you know, the candidate for the job? I really didn't. It just, it was something that sparked interest in me. And, you know, I tried training her a little bit right from the get-go. And she just really took to wanting to use her nose. And we just kind of ran with it. Unfortunately, what I found out with her later in the year is that she is very skittish of other people which does not pan out well no so she's very very good at her job and it's kind of a bummer because i can't continue to use her you know for clients oh gotcha i'm considering her retired at this point and i'm working on getting another dog to train and have for next season okay gotcha yeah how many have you trained truly incredible what the dog knows can find yeah and that's even on a dog you guys got from you know the humane society and and it's not even like you bought a a bred tracking dog and and maybe i'm I'm assuming there's probably a difference on capabilities i know certain dogs do certain things like my lab uh you know we got her for for duck hunting but she also knows how to jump all over everything and shed everywhere and lay on the couch so um well every dog's good at that (laughs) exactly what what kind of dog are you looking at for the the next round uh the next one's gonna be a dash hound and okay, there's, so there's all sorts really of bad. different breeds there's all sorts of different breeds that a lot of trackers use and i've talked to several trackers and some like the dash hound some prefer a bigger one you know it's all kind of personal preference but realistically any dog for the most part has a good enough nose to be very good. It's more so the willingness of the dog and whether or not the dog wants to use its nose and work. Okay. Did you track any deer with uh, your current dog? Yeah, we did uh, quite a few last year, as I was telling you. And um, I believe the national recovery rate is around 30% for deer tracking. Oh. We were right around that mark as far as actual recoveries. Cool. Yeah, it's got to be cool. When you're there, you're there to save the day, literally. Yeah, it's a awesome feeling. It's rewarding. It's you know, it's very rewarding. I would say, and a, a lot of it is like I try to help people and teach them, you know, better shot angles and better just shot placement. Because a lot of what we end up getting are you know some gut shot or liver shot or oh I tried a frontal shot from a tree and it just didn't work and I'm finding tiny bits of blood. You know you. As a tracker, you hear it all and see it all, and it just it continually blows your mind at how bad some of these shots are. But there's also deflection, and you know everybody gets nervous. You know, there's a hundred different reasons out there. Just things don't always go according to plan. We know that. Oh, no kidding, no kidding. What do you um any any tips for people out there? You know, both season just started here for a lot of people. Um, you know, any any tips or must must knows. You know, from a dog tracker side of things, you've seen it all. So, you know, what what are your recommendations? Um, as far as like shot placement, I mean, my biggest thing I would recommend is just take your time if you if the deer allows you, and really calm yourself down so you can ethically make the best shot you can. Um, I always try to you know preach that 
obviously broadside shots are the best, but you know, you can hit almost any angle on a deer and still get a good double lung kill if you completely understand the anatomy. And there's a lot of really good YouTube videos and you know, just anatomy drawings out there that show you a ton of different angles and where you should and shouldn't aim based on the angle of the deer. And there's a guy I would, I'll have to look it up at some point. He's on YouTube and he puts together a really good video. He's from overseas. I want to say he's from Britain, but he put together a really good series of a bunch of different examples of anatomy drawings and shot placement and i kind of screenshotted some of those from his videos and i like showing people those because it gives you a really good idea of shot placement yeah i saw you posted a couple of those screenshots on on habitat chat and, and I, I couldn't agree more i mean knowing the anatomy of the deer um you, you know it just gives you that confidence on where to aim or, or, or where not to aim right like i always thought the leg pretty much went straight up the the front shoulder you know went straight up so i'd go up that crease and i'd go back two inches without hitting that leg bone yep. well i'd be liver shooting all the time and now you know you look at the anatomy you know the leg doesn't do that it drives forward and yeah. you have a big opening there where you can be in that shoulder area and and get right into the vitals so it's almost like a light bulb went off for me. I was like, oh my gosh, I've been aiming too far back. I'm afraid of that shoulder the whole time when you know, I thought I knew where the shoulder was. And now I'm, I'm shooting a little heavier arrow with a, a fixed blade, so I have more confidence there too. But understanding where you can aim is, it taught me a lot, at least. Oh, absolutely. You know, and like for the broadside shot, you know, once you realize the anatomy and you realize, you know, all the location of the bones in there, you can basically draw a line, you know, say three inches up from the belly and go straight up that front leg. And as long as, you know, it does depend, you know, is the front, is the leg facing you, is that leg back or is it forward? But if it's straight up and down or she took one step forward and opened up for you, you can go straight up that leg and that's going to be a, a heart shot every single time. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and like I, the, I the quartering two shot is one that, you know, it's, bow hunters are taught you know never take that but once you understand the anatomy you can basically set your vertical post on the inside of the near leg and you know once again three four inches up from the belly and that's going to be a great ethical kill once again and you know there's nothing wrong with that shot yeah you just gotta know where those those bones are right i mean I, on the broad side i i can i follow that leg up and i can see where the where the leg bends and shoots forward you can you can see it sticking out of the skin just a little bit um yeah if if you have enough light and a good enough view you know you well, can definitely see that that's true yep now so, you... but as far as oh go ahead oh i was just gonna ask you no keep moving you're great um i was just gonna touch base on like what you should do when you think you need a tracker okay and um you know there's no issue if you shoot a deer and you give it time and you start tracking and you're you're not confident or you're having issues finding blood that right then is to me when you should stop and call a dog and try to get somebody out there to help you um a lot of trackers will tell you absolutely do not grid search um a seasoned dog from what i have seen will figure out if you've grid searched they will be able to work through it the big issue you're going to have is if you step in blood and you track it around through that grid searching or even if on your initial track if you step on blood and you're you know walking around and you're spreading that scent everywhere there's so many different scent particles that the dogs pick up that the deer puts off you know as soon as you shoot a deer that deer's got blood flowing it's got adrenaline 
pumping. It's got dirt and dander falling off of it. You have, you know, if it's a liver shot, you have that scent or gut scent. And the dogs pick all of that up and they're able to decipher very quickly. You know, I even noticed it with my dog last year and she was young, obviously. Um, That dog knows within the first few minutes of a track if that deer's dead once it gets some experience. Okay. Based on that it's able to pick up. And, you know, from talking to other trackers and even what I've learned and seen with my dog, she just won't track if she knows it's not a dead deer. You know, there's some days I feel like I was taking her for a walk in the woods and based on all the sign and how she was performing, once she, you know, towards the end of the season and she had some experience, it's just plain and simple. This one's not going to be found. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. A lot of handlers from what I've seen have picked up on that with the more experience you get and the more experience your dog gets you know it's they're just like people you know we learn things and their scent profile picks up on all of that so how far would you track a deer before calling the dog in general it all depends on how she's tracking and what kind of sign there is okay you know if we're if 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 we picked up on you know lung blood that's kind of bubbly but it's not very bubbly you know, sometimes that's indicative of a single lung. And with a single lung, some deer can live from that depending on what else you hit. You know, say it's a steep angle shot and all you did was clip one lung and it was a clean pass through other than that. You know, that deer is likely to live. However, I I do know some trackers that have larger breed dogs that will run a deer down if they see that type of sign. You know, if you have a fast tracking dog that can run and you're not afraid of the dog getting attacked, if it finds the deer live, um, sometimes you can literally run a deer to death if you have enough property and permission to continue on. Wow. Yeah. So I've, I've heard, heard of it that. Situation. Yeah. Does, does some dogs run them down to, to, to keep the blood flowing, to keep pouring out or, or why would you do that? Uh, it's basically just to keep the, the animal up and moving and keep its heart rate up. So you keep getting blood pumping, so it basically bleeds the deer out quicker. So it doesn't really have a chance to, hopefully it doesn't have a chance to clot up and end up healing. You know, it's the whole idea is to press the deer and keep it on its feet and moving and get it to pass over. Gotcha. So that's not a method I personally would use just because I have a smaller dog. And more than likely the odds of somebody already having that much permission to potentially run a deer three miles or two miles is going to be slim to none, you know? Yep. No, it's for sure around here. (laughs) yeah absolutely but like anything else it's all situational and just kind of depends on the sign on what you're seeing on how far we'll end up tracking just based on what the dog's doing you know i i never want to leave a deer that i feel is dead i'll continue and even if the dog can't do it i'll by all means help grid search or whatever needs needs to be done perfect perfect any other um last and final thoughts on the tracking and and um any other advice for the listeners? Uh, just on the tracking, I mean, when in doubt, back out and call a tracker. Um, these dogs are truly incredible with what they can and can't do. And just because, you know, if you've called the tracker out in the past and didn't find your deer, you know, don't give up on the dogs. They are truly incredible and they, they will find it if it's dead, if it's a decent dog. Yep. And there's plenty of us in the state that are very, very well trained with very good dogs. Nope, I, I couldn't agree more, man. I love that. Um, the last thing I have for you, Dylan, is our rapid fire. All righty. So if you're ready, I'll hit it. Yep, go for it. All right, sir. Your favorite beverage? Favorite beverage would probably be apple pie moonshine. 
if I'm drinking. Other than that, probably water. 10-4. How about your favorite venison or wild game recipe? Oh, just good old sweet tenderloins on the smoker or cooked almost any which way. Tenderloins are by far my favorite. Do you Can't go uh, wrong with those either. You smoke them for till what temp do you pull them in? Usually around 135. And then if I feel they need to cook a little more based on size, toss them in a quick pan real quick or you know, usually 135 is pretty good perfect uh fixed blades or mechanical broadheads as a deer tracker i definitely have to say fixed blades but you know any any broadhead in the right place is gonna kill mm, i like it um <laughs> what, what do you find yourself hunting most of the time preset tree stands blinds or do you hunt mobile definitely the box blind but i do want to get into the mobile hunting and some public land stuff hopefully next year food water or cover what do you think is most important where you hunt i gotta say cover based on how this year went just with the cornfield being there and all the screenings um obviously food and water are important but a deer can go weeks without even taking a sip of water but i definitely gotta say for my property that adding the cover and screening is definitely what's made the deer more comfortable on my land nice your favorite habitat tool or implement chainsaw rock and roll and they're, your favorite tree they're fun <laughs> uh favorite tree i really love looking at a red maple the ones that turn really bright red those are just a beautiful tree come fall obviously there's no no benefit there for the deer on them but they are definitely good to look at i think oh yeah they're turning real bright right now and i think the deer will uh i know they like sucking up those leaves and and those shoots if you do stump cut them but um yeah that's that's a great choice they're they're beautiful we're going up north tomorrow for that bow hunting weekend and i cannot wait to see all the colors yeah that'll i'm sure it's beautiful up there now well dylan i appreciate you hopping on man once again congratulations on that awesome 13 point close to 200 pound dressed buck man that is amazing five and a half thank acres. you very much it's amazing i appreciate having me on here no problem let's get together soon and crack a cold one hey sounds good man just give me a shout anytime all right if anybody wanted to reach out to you how can they find you uh just dylan major on facebook i do have a, a deer tracking page on there it's just major deer tracking but we're obviously out of the game this year and hopefully we'll be back at it next year but i tend to post periodically on there as you know as i'm training throughout the year awesome awesome brother well hey good luck the rest of the season and uh let's get together soon yeah sounds good man and hopefully you get a big one this year too yeah i appreciate it thank you <laughs> thank you have a good one thank you very much for listening to the habitat podcast guys we will be back with another great episode next week i just want to say once again how grateful we are for the listenership we have and the the loyal listeners you guys have been and supporters of the podcast for those of you who want to support further we have free decals being sent out to those who leave us great reviews scroll down hit the link to leave a great review and then email me info at habitatpodcast.com i'll get you a free five inch decal in the mail right away guys i want to thank our sponsors vitalize seed company at vitalizeseed.com exodus outdoor gear packer max culta packers morse nursery acres.com downburst cedars first light united country midwest lifestyle properties thank you so much guys for tuning in once again get back with us soon we're gonna have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers